How's everybody doing? You good? Good to see you. Um, welcome to church. Ending your week, starting next week off right. It's really good to be in worship with you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Daryl Holden. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege, really, to be able to talk with you today about some. Um, I, it's, I think it's one of the most important things we can talk about. And uh, we're in this series this fall, kind of as we head into the fall. I'm sorry I say that because it's not fall yet. We like just we're not going to wish that on ourselves. This is summer still, so um, as we finish the summer, we're in this series, in this little letter of the Bible called 2 Corinthians, written by a guy named the Apostle Paul to the ancient church at Corinth, and um, this, this letter is about what's true, and about what's, um, what's right, and about what you can count on, and so we've called this little series Verified, and we're just talking for these several weeks about things that you and I can know that uh, we can know for sure and that we can hang our hat on because they have been stamped not by a human being but by God as this is, this is what's right and this is what's true. So I was reading this week, there's a story about a um, young family, young parents, they had a four-year-old son and they could not get and keep babysitters for this kid because how he behaved. So they got this new babysitter and and they left her in charge and go out to dinner. And so they have their evening and then they come back. When they came back, she is sitting on the sofa doing her homework, the house is quiet, everything's in shape. And they were really like pleasantly, greatly surprised. And so they paid her and then they paid her some extra and um, she packed her books up and was walking out. And as she, as she was walking out the door, she turned around and she says, oh, I almost forgot to tell you. I told your son that you would buy him a pony tomorrow if he stayed in bed like he's supposed to. And she walked out of the door, got in her car, and drove home. So um, I wanna talk with you today about, about making and keeping promises. And as, as important as it is for us as we make and keep promises with each other, I'm not gonna talk about that. What I really wanna talk with you about is the, the faithfulness of God and how he makes and keeps promises to us and how he is trustworthy uh, to us, we can, we can put our trust in him. And again, we're in this letter of 2 Corinthians chapter one and we're gonna talk from a paragraph. If I could just give you the little setup for it of why this paragraph is even in this letter, what, what was happening in this ancient city of Corinth and in this ancient relationship between the Apostle Paul and this church was he had, he had said to them, like, hey, I wanna, I wanna come through, I, there's this place I wanna go called Massachusetts. And he ended up canceling his trip through their town because of, of the way they were viewing him and the way they were choosing to live their life. He had, he had visited them and that visit was bumpy because of choices that they were making and the way that they were, they were not living as Christ followers. And then he had written them at least one and possibly two letters that were really, they were really hard for him to write and they were hard for them to receive. And so that was all bumpy and he just, he looked at where things were in the relationship and he just said, you know, if I come now, it's going to be painful. So we're going to give this a little time to work out and let God work in your heart and bring some change about in you guys, and so I'm not gonna come just yet. And so his critics, if you've been with us, you know that this, he's, this city of Corinth was full of people who were critical of Paul, 
and not just of him personally, but also of the message that he'd preached because they had a different agenda for this church. And so his critics then began to say, oh, Paul, yeah, you, you can't trust that guy any further than you can throw him. Um, yeah, Paul, he says, I'm gonna come, and then he doesn't, he doesn't show up. I'm gonna be there, it, he doesn't come. And like, what a liar this guy is. And, and he's lying to you about this, and if he's lying to you about this, I mean, you can't trust what he says about coming to visit you. For sure can't trust what he has to say about who God is, about Jesus, about any of that other stuff. And so his critics were using his, his wise decision to not come visit as a way to drive a wedge between Paul's message of Jesus and the church in that day. And so, so he's addressing that little scenario head on at the first part of this letter. And so I wanna read for you the paragraph that's gonna be our jumping in point today, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. But surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ, and so through him, Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, put a spirit in our heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So what I want us to do together for the next little bit is I want us to just, we're just gonna kind of make our way through that little paragraph, and I have five statements for you about the faithfulness of God. And my hope for us, what I believe will happen as we talk through these verses is that it is going to stir up in me and in you a, an increased level of confidence in God and who he is and how believable his promises are so that we would be able to live in confidence and in reliance on what he says to us. So I'm gonna give you five statements. The first one is this. And I'll have these on the screen for you. First statement is God is always faithful. He is, he's always faithful. God's always faithful. He keeps every promise he makes. And you can build your life on and around his promises because he always does what he says he will do. And you see how many times he's word always and every in there. I mean, this is just the constant testimony of the scriptures. It's what God says about himself. It's what God's people have said about him through the ages that God is, he is always faithful. He keeps every promise that he makes. You and I can trust him. And, and I love that in the midst of a conversation or an argument, really, in this letter, if we could, you see him behind the scenes, whether who's, who's trustworthy or not, the whole, the whole direction of this thing is like, hey, God is always faithful. As surely as God is faithful, you can count on him to fulfill every promise that he makes. So I thought it would be good for us to think through a couple of promises that God has made to his people that would have been on the Apostle Paul's mind as he's writing this letter and would have been on the mind of the people who were reading it for the first time. So there's three promises that I think we've gotta talk about. The first one is a promise that God has made to his people. He says, I'll forgive your sins and remember them no more. <laughs> Isn't that a great promise? I'm gonna forgive your sins and remember them no more. And that promise is made a number of different times through the Old Testament and in the New Testament, so throughout the Bible, but I'm thinking particularly of the prophecies of, of the ancient prophet Jeremiah. He prophesied 600 and something years before Jesus showed up. 
So a long time ago. So the Lord speaking through Jeremiah says, hey, there's a day coming when, when I am going to like permanently forgive my people's sins and I will remember them no more. Because Jeremiah was talking to a group of people who participated in a sacrificial system. And so if you've been around church, you grew up in church, you maybe heard a little bit about, you know, they had to sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs. And it was just, it was this sacrificial system and, and most of it was connected to the sinfulness of people. And one of the things that God says about in that system, there's a lot of stuff that had to be done daily and monthly and yearly. And, and each one of those things was, it wasn't about, like it wasn't complete, total, final forgiveness. It was God passing over the sins of his people. And, and so through Jeremiah, God says, hey, there's a day coming when you're not gonna have to participate in this system to be a person who is forgiven. I'm gonna forgive you. And, and of course, in all of that, he's pointing ahead to Jesus. If you chase that story out, through the Bible, you make your way all the way almost to the end in the letter to the Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter eight, it talks about how Jesus is the end and he is the one who has, like, he is the one who fulfills this promise that God has made because Jesus was the, he was the final sacrifice. His death on the cross was actually, it was a sacrificial death. It, it wasn't just, it wasn't, like he did not die for his own sins. He died for your sins and for my sins. He died in our place. And so when, when he died, because he is the son of God, he's God the son, he lived a perfect, sinless life. There was no need for him to pay for his own sins. When he died, there's an eternal transaction that happened. And in that eternal transaction that took place between God the father and God the son, you and I all of a sudden become beneficiaries. We get to receive this I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. And, and so God has, like, in Jesus, God is faithful to this promise that he will forgive us and remember our sins no more. Second promise that, that was on the minds of these people who were engaged in this letter for the first time was God also made a promise through Jeremiah, same little section of scripture, Jeremiah 31. God says to his people like forever, I'm gonna be your God and you will be my people. He makes this declaration, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and maybe that sounds a little bit strange to us that it, that it rolls that way because a lot of the times that, that we as Christian people, particularly in the United States, we often present, we present this, um, we present it like it's our decision that somehow like we say to God, um, you'll be my God and I'll, I'll belong to you. And that's just not the way it goes. Um, if, if the creator God, Lord Almighty, eternal Father is gonna be God over you, it's not gonna be because you decided that he's gonna be God over you. So when uh, Marie and I, over our history, you know, our, together, we've had the privilege of being able to do a lot of ministry in Brazil, and the ministry we work with, we work in favelas, which is the Portuguese name for the slums, so we get to be with um, we get to be with kids who are in really difficult, you know, deep poverty, hard situations, and they're kids. So we're you know we have fun all week, and it's a lot of we have a lot of fun with them. And inevitably, some kid walks up to us and says something that we can't always understand. But there's the the word we catch is patron. We would say patron, and what they're saying is in the first few times I heard it, I called over one of our translators and I said, "What's what's this kid saying to us?" And the kid 
Like the kid is just saying, hey, you're, you're my patron. You're you know, basically, you're my rich uncle is, what, is what, what the declaration is. And you know, like A plus for guts for a kid to walk, you know, it's like A plus for living out what Jesus says you have not because you ask not, just for sure. But the truth of the matter is the, the kid in that scenario doesn't, the relationship isn't such that, that that kid could walk up to us and say, hey, this is, you're gonna be rich aunt and uncle to me. That's not how it works. We're, we say that over them. And that's a, that's a human version of, of what happens because this promise that God, where he says, I will be your God and you will be my people and this relationship is gonna last forever. It's this amazing it's this amazing promise that he holds out to us that if like, that we, he's gonna be our, he's gonna be our protection, he's gonna be our provision, he's gonna be our guide, he's, he's going to be our God, and we get to be his people, and so it's this, it's this really cool promise that, that he makes that I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. And then the third one, You'll live life to the fullest extent. You know, again, if you read through what the prophets in the Old Testament write, you'll read a lot of doom and gloom, a lot of judgment, a lot of tough stuff to read through, I know. And if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, if you make it through the first couple, you know, you make it through the book called Leviticus or Numbers, if you make it through that, a lot of people hang up in these Old Testament prophets because they're hard to read because there's so much doom and gloom. But if you sort through, a lot of what you hear is like, hey, you're gonna enjoy... There are days coming when there's going to be abundance, fruitfulness, hope, life, and, and it just over and over again, you're gonna be healed, you're gonna have health, there's gonna be my goodness, relationship peace happening for and with you. And these Old Testament prophets, they predicted in a lot of words, and if you move it forward into Jesus, what Jesus said, he just kinda all boiled it down into one sentence since recorded for us in the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest extent. Or maybe you've heard that before and it's you've heard, like, I have come so that you'll have abundant life. And again, this is this promise that God makes to his people that what you and I get to experience, like we get to receive from him, what he's willing to give to us is the life that he created us to live. Because there is more to it than what you and I are experiencing right now. This is a season where it's not hard to figure that out. But there are, there are seasons of life where it seems like everything is just firing on all cylinders and it's good. And, and even in those best moments for us, there's more that God offers to his people. It's not just like, it's life to the fullest extent. It's not just what you could create for yourself, the kind of life that you could make happen. It is the kind of life that he wants to give to us. And Jesus just looks at the people around him. He says, hey, I've come so that you could have life to the fullest extent. All those promises that God has made and how all those words that were used to say it, I'm gonna give you, you can get it through me, life to the fullest extent. And I wanted to use Jesus's words for that last promise, they're not little, I was gonna say little promises, they're not little promises, these are huge promises. I wanted to use Jesus' words for that last one because it leads us to the second statement about the promises of God and his faithfulness. So God's promises, we can always trust him, his promises come to us in and through Jesus. 
And it is our connection to, as Paul's words, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that brings us into the stream of God's promises and blessings. So if you and I are going to receive God's promises, the promises that we are gonna receive, we're gonna receive them through Jesus. And, and Paul does, he writes, he writes these words when he starts talking about in verse 19, for the Son of God, and he, he takes pains to put the word the there because he wants to point us to the unique, one and only, only begotten Son of God who is Jesus. It is through him that we receive these promises of God. Jesus was not just some guy who walked on the scene and made a bunch of promises that, you know, in the morning there's gonna be a pony for you if you live right, and off he goes. Like he, is, he is the Son of God, and he is God the Son, and the promises that God makes find their fulfillment in him, the promises that God makes, like Jesus receives those promises, and it's your and my connection to him that brings us into the stream of God's blessing, and in Jesus, it's not just, it's not yes and no. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't wobbly about God's promises, he wasn't wobbly about the promises that he makes, it's not yes and no, Jesus is yes. When he, when he speaks the promises of God, he's, he's a yes. It's, 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 not a, it's not a message that bounces around and that we don't know, in him, it's always been yes into verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, so that idea of being connected to Jesus or in Christ reads like it's location. Right? I mean, just, just kinda as you're reading that, if, if I'm going to receive the promises of God, they're gonna come to me through Jesus in him this is where these promises are found. So it feels like it's location or it's geography. And that's a little odd when you're thinking about that in terms of relationship. So what helps me in that is this, it's actually a statement that Jesus made in, I think it's recorded in Luke 13, where he is, he's looking over the city of Jerusalem and seeing their rebellion against God and their refusal to engage in relationship with God and in obedience to the things that God held out for them and their unwillingness to live in the covenant that they had made with God, and he's grieved over, over that and what that meant for them in their everyday life, and he just, he's just lamenting, and he said, you know, I, I long to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And that helps me with this in Christ thing because Really what it is, is it's being gathered by Jesus into relationship with him so that you find yourself really under the shadow, the protection of his wings. And, and so if you and I are going to, we are going to receive the promises that God gives to us, it's going to be in and through Jesus that those things come. Now God does a lot of good things for everybody. You know, that, like sun shines on people no matter what you think about him. Right? And the rain falls for farmers that love Jesus and for farmers who don't. And, and so God does a lot, of, he does a lot of things that are for the good of all of us. But his promises and his blessings that he, like those blessings that are, I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. I will be your God, you will be my people, abundant 
life to the fullest extent, those kinds of promises are reserved specifically for the people who are gathered by Jesus as a hen gathers her chicks. And so that, that second statement, God's promises, they come to us in and through Jesus. Nothing happens apart from him. So here's the third statement. You and I respond to God's promises through Jesus. So this is like, this is a very Jesus, theologians would say Christocentric. This is like, this is a very Jesus-focused thing here. Promises of God are mediated to us in and through Jesus, and it is only in and through Jesus that you and I are able to respond to these things. And so, you know, Paul writes, he says, through him, speaking of Jesus Christ, we say amen to God's promise, and it's this it's just reinforcement of like that is the only way that you can receive what God wants to give to you is, is through Jesus. And so I just kind of wrote a few things down here. First one is that's why we pray in Jesus' name. You know, as Christian people, we pray in Jesus' name. It's not a tagline that you put at the end of a prayer so everybody knows that you're hanging up. It's, it's this acknowledgement that that everything I have to offer God our Father in worship and praise and thanksgiving and every request I make of him and every promise I claim that he has made, like all of that is, it, it comes through Jesus. It, apart from Jesus, none of that can happen. I mean, like you could be a person who prays apart from Jesus, but you don't receive the benefits and the blessings and the promises of God. And, and if you don't approach God through Jesus, I mean, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to God the Father except through him. And so we respond to God's promises through Jesus. So you and I, we can't, we can't get away from this. Our relationship with Jesus is, is critical. For our, for our spiritual, emotional future, like for every aspect of your and my life and this life and the life to come is connected to how we respond to Jesus as we let him gather us like a hen gathers her chicks. We get to respond and we get to receive what God's offering to us. All right, so here's the fourth thing. The proper response to each of God's promises is, I would say, yes, please. <laughs> he, Paul writes it, he says, you know, so the, Promises are a yes to us and Jesus, and so Jesus through him, we say amen. We speak amen to the glory of God. So amen, my loose translation of that word is just yes, please. Um, it is like a technical translation of so be it. And probably my favorite of the looser translations, it's actually sent to me by a guy in our church connected to the Lord's Prayer last year. Bring it on. I mean, can you imagine finishing a prayer where you have asked God to do some things for you and you just finish it and you say, you know what, in Jesus' name, bring it on, right? So I don't know if I have that much guts in prayer. So for me, all the promises that God has made, he's, they come to me through Jesus and I say yes to those promises through Jesus and and it's just, we speak the amen, and to me it is a hands open, palms up, I have asked you for some things, you have made some promises, some things, you, you know what I need before I ever ask you, 
And you are faithful to all of this. You are a faithful God. So everything you've promised me, I just I say yes, please, to that. I want to receive. And that's, that's my hands open posture. If you're a little gutsier than I am, so be it. You know, we just run that direction. But the proper response to God's promises is yes. 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 Because our tendency is to respond with, you sure? Maybe. Is that right? Did I understand? You, like, you with me in that? Because, you know, God says some things to us and we scratch our head and go, that doesn't, I'm not sure about that. But as sure as God is faithful, as sure as God is faithful, that is, that is the foundational propositional truth of the scriptures that God is faithful. We can bank on him, we can build our lives on him. As sure as God is faithful, all the promises that he has made are there yes to us in Jesus. Jesus isn't the babysitter who walked on the scene and made a bunch of promises that God's not gonna keep tomorrow. They're yes to us in Jesus, and so through Jesus, that relationship that we have with him, we look back to God and we say, yes, bring it on. I will take that. I want that. Please, that's our proper response to him. And, and then this last statement, we live in God's promises and we live out our yes, please, by his spirit. Okay, so this this is the what if he does way of living. And if you've been with us, when I talk about God's promises, I acknowledge my own tendency and the human tendency of what if he doesn't? Marie and I were talking this week about, I was with some guys and we were all talking about, they're ministry guys, and we were talking about how much longer are we gonna be in ministry and and that always comes at like, how much money do you have saved, right? Because when you, those of you who are in kind of my ballpark and you're thinking, how much longer am I gonna be working? It always connects to, well, how much longer do I have to work to, to be able to eat? And you know, Marie and I are having a conversation about some ways that we could speed that up and it just felt like, you know, that, that feels like if we chose that route, that feels like we, Jesus said if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, stuff like food and clothing and shelter, like he would give that to us. And if, if we walked away from what we feel like is faithfulness to God's call in our lives, to speed up or to make sure we have enough or more than enough, really, in retirement years, that feels like maybe that's, and so there's always this, this temptation of, okay, he's providing for us today. And he has been faithful to us. I mean, man, he's been faithful to us in every way. And he's gonna be faithful in the future. And so instead of a conversation that says, well, what if, we, what if we get to whatever year and we don't have enough, what if God isn't faithful to us? How do we posture ourselves right now if God isn't faithful to us? And that's just, that is, I think, the wrong conversation. It's the wrong way to approach it. It's what if God actually, what if he comes through? You know, what if he does? What if he really, from, from this day to the last day that we live on this earth, what if he really does provide food, clothing, and shelter for us because we're seeking first his kingdom. Now what kind of decisions do we make? 
And it's this, it's this wonderful, freeing way to live, banking on the promises of God. And so we live in God's promises and we live out our yes, please. That's, that's not something that you've got to conjure up within yourself. It's not something that, that we've got to figure out and somehow you know we're, there's more to us than there is to you. That's, that's the work of and the gift of God's Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So if you're a believer in Jesus, the thing the Bible teaches is that when you put your trust in Jesus as your savior, what he does for you, not only does he forgive your sins, not only do you, like you're saying yes to that declaration that, that you are my God and I belong to you, that fullest extent, that abundant life kind of thing, that's, that's the ministry of God the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so we get to live out these promises as we walk by God the Holy Spirit. And so, so this little paragraph here about the faithfulness of God ends with three really cool pictures about who the Holy Spirit is and his relationship with us. So at the end of verse 21, he, Jesus Christ, has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So let me just kinda, I'm gonna walk backwards through these things, these three little pictures quickly. The first one is that, that God has given his Holy Spirit to us as a deposit to guarantee what is to come. So if you've ever bought anything, you've put a deposit on, you understand this image. This is a financial transaction. This is, this is, this is that kind of language, a financial transaction. So, so God has made promises to you and to me that are eternal in nature. Some of them are temporal, some of them are for this life only, but most of them are for this life and for the life that is to come, and they escalate. So, so in eternity, the promises that God, a lot of the promises that God has made, the way we experience those promises is beyond anything that we could imagine today. And, and so God, he knows about us that we're gonna have a hard time figuring this out and we're gonna have a hard time believing this, that these things are true and he wants you to know, I'm gonna come through and instead of just giving you stuff, what he's done is he's placed his spirit, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and, and he is the deposit. So if you think about, well the deposit's only partial, fulfillment. So the fact that God himself has taken up residence in each one of us who believe in Jesus by his spirit that's only partial payment of the future that God has come. These promises are outstanding. They are. If you, if you ever read a promise that God has made you and you're thinking, man, that is beyond or I can't understand that or that sounds too good to be true, you're probably reading it right. Because what he promises us is so, it's so much and so far that the down payment is his spirit living inside of us. So that's the first little picture of God the Holy Spirit being the down payment. The second one, is the seal of ownership. So God the Holy Spirit living inside of you is, it's the spiritual proof that you belong to God. And you may be uncomfortable with that idea of ownership, but just like he's, he said, I'm your God and you're my people. And that's a beautiful thing that he is the one who protects us and who provides for us and who cares for us and who leads us and who guides us our tendency is to want to be God over ourselves. And can I just tell you, we are lousy little G gods for ourselves. None of us are good at that. We train wreck our lives so fast when we're in charge of us and God looks at us, our good heavenly father looks at us and says, hey, I'm God over you. 
And so that you know that, that he is God over you, the spirit of God lives inside of you as his seal of ownership on you. Another place when the apostle Paul was writing about it, he, he said that God's spirit who lives inside of us testifies to our spirit. So on a spiritual level, we relate to God, the Holy Spirit. What he says to him is like, hey, you are a child of God. So those moments where you're wondering, is this real, is this too good to be true? Have I really? His spirit who lives inside of you will tell your spirit that, hey, it's good. You are a child of God. He set his seal of ownership on you by sending his spirit to live inside of you. So that's, that's the second image. And then the third one, he talks about how he has anointed us. The spirit is the anointing that comes from God, which is an image that takes us way back where there was oil poured on the heads of, of priests and kings and people who were set apart for a specific kind of service. And I wanted to end with this so that you know something very important. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are participating in the promises of God and you have received the spirit who is your anointing, which means you have been set apart for very special purposes that God has for you. Because we're talking about these promises and these blessings that God pours out on us as his people. But what is true is that God, when he pours out his blessings and when he fulfills his promises to and for us, it's for us, but it's not just for us. It's for the people who are around us. And, and so what God has done is he has ministered his blessing and his promises to you, and it is certainly for you, but he has also anointed you with his spirit so that you are, you are now fully qualified <laughs> to minister what God has given to you to the people who are around you. And I'd like you to think about that for just a second. You are fully qualified to minister what God has given to you to the people who are around you. You may feel unqualified. You may be able to point to some stuff in your life that says, ooh, I might be disqualified. Or surely, I mean, God never uses people who have or were or are like me, but that's false. Those are lies. Those are lies that the enemy of your soul will tell you so that you don't experience God's best. Because if, if you're just trying to live in the promises of God and hanging on to them like they just, they're just for you, you're missing, you're missing most of the point. Right? Like he gives you this stuff so that you're a conduit, so you're, so you're missing you're missing a lot of that life to its fullest extent. If you're, if you're lost in that, I don't have what it takes, you're missing it. And the enemy of your neighbor, coworker, classmate, guy around the world's soul is telling you you don't have what it takes because he doesn't want that person to receive what God wants to give to them either. So, so God's promises, his blessing, he, he has anointed you with his spirit so that you now have what you need to go and minister to the people around you what God is giving to you. 
little later in the letter, and we're going to talk about it when, that, when we get to that section there, because I think this is a critical point. The great apostle Paul, I mean, like this guy wrote most of the New Testament that you and I have. He's the one we talk about when we talk about heroes of the faith. The great apostle Paul is talking about his ministry, about what God had called him to do, and he just, he kind of throws up his arms and he says, who's adequate for these things? Who's enough to wade into this kind of stuff? Who's enough to, to approach people? Who's enough to walk into somebody's life when they're suffering? Who's, who's enough to maybe provoke a conversation? Like who's, enough, who's adequate for these things? And the answer to that is nobody's adequate for these things except God has poured his spirit on and into us and it is his spirit who makes us adequate. So that, that first layer of I'm not equipped for this, that's a good layer. You gotta realize that this is not of you. By ourselves, none of us have what it takes. But God has given you, he has given you what you need to be able to minister what he's giving you to the people who are around you and, and as you walk into that, you'll you'll know that you're, you're being given what you need for the moment, for the person. It's this, it's this beautiful thing that you get to live in and under the promises of God. You get to live out the benefits of your yes to him. You don't have to do that on your own. You get to do that by his spirit. And, and so what you and I need to know walking out of here this weekend, because whatever we're walking into this week, you're you're walking into relationships with people who, who are experiencing sunshine and rain but have no idea the freedom that comes when God forgives your sins and you remember them. He remembers them no more. They have, they have no idea the joy and the peace and the hope that come from I will be your God and you will be my people. Yes, please, that's what I want. They're, they're doing the best they can and they just don't know what life to its fullest extent is. And God has given that to you through his son Jesus and he has anointed you with the spirit so that you can walk into those relationships and minister what he has given. You don't have to minister what he hasn't given you but minister what he has given to you to the people who are around you. And, and in that, you and they get to live out these beautiful promises of God. So I wanna pray this for you. Would you guys please bow your head and close your eyes with me? So Father, we, we honor you as faithful God and we're grateful that you have ministered and continue to minister your faithfulness to us. I pray for myself, I pray for my friends who are here in this room, that we would be the kind of people who order our lives around your promises, that we're willing to, to read them, to hear them, to, to say yes to them, and to, to live like you're gonna come through. And I pray that you would give us the, the boldness and the holy courage, that dependent on you, on your spirit, kind of courage that comes to minister these good things that you are giving to us, to the people who are around us. We, we wanna be people who make a difference. We wanna be people who introduce others to you. We wanna see our friends, relatives, coworkers, classmates. We wanna see them 
get to have what you're given to us. So Jesus, thank you. Again, we read it and we're saying yes to it. All of it comes to us through you and without you, we'd be sunk. You are our hope. You are our trust. You're our savior. So all our hope's in you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.